Hi, and welcome back to another edition of Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dweck. The NFL franchise tagline has come and gone. Chris Jones, Derrick Henry both inking huge extensions, along with Miles Garrett signing a huge extension of his own. Along with those deals, we're going to break down and give you all the details of the big NFL Player Association and NFL Agreement. Training camp will start on time next week. So, Shy, let's get right into it because it's game time. So, Shy, let's start with the extensions. And of the three we're going to be talking about today, let's start with the running back, Derrick Henry, inking a four-year, $50 million deal. $25.5 million is guaranteed. And obviously, I guess we don't know because of how coronavirus will impact the season, but the Titans structured this deal, so almost all of the $25.5 million, if not all of it, will be given to Henry in the first kind of two years of this deal, making the last two years of this deal uh, not hu- not a huge cap hit if they also decide to move on from him. Shy, we know how the value of running backs has greatly gone down, and we've seen guys like Todd Gurley, David Johnson, ink big long-term deals that haven't worked out. Do you think the Titans made the right move inking him to this long-term deal instead of him playing out on the franchise tag? I definitely do think they made the right move, Alex. Um, their patience was rewarded here, as you said, putting uh, almost all of that guaranteed money, the better part of it, in those two first two years really made sense um, because they have the financial flexibility uh, if the production drops in the latter two years of his deal um, to really, because he's, no, he's a running back the wear and tear, especially someone who plays like him, that power style of football uh, I think it really makes sense uh, around $12 million a year, a little bit more than that is right what you expect him to make they didn't overpay, uh, they waited it out and they were rewarded I, I really love this deal for Tennessee, and, and, and I think um, risking another year waiting on the franchise tag, one, do you have a holdout? You see running back a lot of times drop in production. Well, I believe he may have already signed his franchise tag, or he was planning to sign it, so I don't think holdout was going to be an option. Right, but that's something that you that you always don't want to risk. Um, and another thing would be... Um, another thing would be just having another season if he has another breakout year um, with the rushing title he's going to be demanding even more money well I think if that I think if that were to happen I think you would just franchise him again because this year's franchise tag was worth 10 million and next year's franchise tag for Derrick Henry would have been about 12 12 and a half million that's why Henry took this deal because he's looking I'm going to make about 12 and a half million for the next four years and guaranteed wise around 12 and a half especially for the next two years when if he had played on the franchise tag for the next two years on average he would have made about 11 million so that's a big reason why he took this deal to begin with you know i think another thing is it's good for both sides you obviously players especially running back become frustrated um when they keep being placed in that franchise tag and rightfully so i think because um they really just have a much shorter, as we talked about before on this podcast, much shorter uh, career length because of those injuries. And I think giving him sort of that uh, long-term, not, I don't know, probably long-term security in a way, uh, but also they are, the, the Titans are flexible, you know, as we just said before, putting the better part of that salary, guaranteed money, in those first two years. I think it's a very good um, 
almost compromised. Titans were patient. It paid off for them. And I think Derrick Henry got the money. And he was really got that security. Um, and I think it was just very good for both sides to get that deal done just to keep that relationship nice and strong. Yeah, and I was obviously following this deal right down to the wire. The deadline was at 4 p.m. Eastern time on July 15th. And there was really the first report that came out that said they were even finalizing or close was about 45 minutes or so before the deadline. So this really came down to the wire. It was a very, I thought, fair deal. When I first saw that they were closing in on a deal, I was a little worried for the Titans' sake because I thought, oh no, they're going to give them Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, Christian McCaffrey money in the $15, $16 million range for possibly five years so I think it's a four-year deal which I think does help Tennessee it's not as long you see Zeke inking a six-year deal and even Gurley his deal was four years but he was under contract for six more years when you included the two years uh, he was still under for the rookie deal so four years isn't as long and I just thought 12 and a half it comes out at about fifth among the highest paid running backs so I think this was a very fair deal and I think the Titans are really building that team the right way you see look as great as Henry is Ryan Tannehill had a very good I guess half season with Tennessee so what do you do you lock your starting quarterback down you lock him down to a four-year deal long-term deal you don't have to worry about him for the foreseeable future then you franchise your running back but then you also agree to again a very fair deal I found this graphic and it basically took not every AFC running back but all the starting running backs with a few other guys who had prominent roles on their team it took I believe 21 AFC running backs in weeks one to six, oh, and excuse me, this graphic was kind of explaining, or it was an analytics graphic, and it was expected yards gained at the time of the handoff. So at the time the running back was gained the ball, how many yards were they expected on that particular play? So in weeks one through six, basically when Marcus Mariota was the starting quarterback, Derrick Henry was fourth worst, only Sony Michelle. Carlos Hyde and Le'Veon Bell had a worse expected yards gain at the time of handoff. And again, this was when Marietta was the quarterback, so weeks one through six. Now, when you go weeks seven through 12, so obviously not the full season, but really the first four or five weeks when Tannehill took over, Derrick Henry jumped from the bottom five to the top 10, he was, I believe, ninth, coming in ahead of Nick Chubb, who had a monster year. So I think this just shows, as great as Henry was, and he had a very good year, I'm not denying that, but you do look at the value Ryan Tannehill brought to the team and how, yeah, Derrick Henry had a great week one against Cleveland, but this ti- this Titans team was 2-4 and four when Mariota was the starter, and yet, they end up going on this great run and make it, end up making it to the AFC Championship game. And everything really clicked once Tannehill stepped in. And remember, in one of Tannehill's first games, and the game that really brought him onto the scene was against the Chiefs, where he went blow for blow with Patrick Mahomes. And yes, they had, the Chiefs obviously had some special teams issues at the end of the game. But the Titans won a shootout. The Titans won, I believe, it was 35-32. 
So obviously it was a close game, but Tannehill played his you-know-what off. So Derrick Henry is a very good player, but I really thought the Titans handled this entire process incredibly well, locking down the quarterback, the position that uh, you know is head and shoulders above all in terms of value, and then you lock up uh, a, your ball carrier, your dog, your kind of your bell cow running back, your bell cow. That's kind of what I was looking for. You know, you got them on four-year deals, so they're kind of you know gonna be there for the same length. You're not cap strapped, especially in this COVID uncertainty world. So shy. You see Henry get that long-term deal coming off a big year, but he barely cracks the top five. What do you think this means for some up-and-coming running backs, such as Saquon Barkley, among others? Because then we see a guy like Melvin Gordon get $8 million, but we also see McCaffrey get $16 million. And all this is per year, by the way. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely interesting. I think it's just a really good, interesting example of, early great example of good management. As you were talking about, the Titans were patient. They didn't really overpay uh, Tannehill or Henry, right? Yeah, Tannehill got a good chunk of money, but it's really sort of that next man up mentality from a quarterback. He really, he did definitely did not, he did not crack thirty million. I don't believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Alex. I believe it was around twenty nine million. So I think it was just below thirty million. Okay, and so that seems just about right proportionally on the quarterback market. Um, and I think that ability, as you said, Nagy's that statistic um, for the ability for. Tannehill to really bring that consistency to the passing game and then play action really when the defense stacks the box be able to hit him over the top um, is really valuable and allowed a lot more space um, for Derrick Henry you know, to be so effective and I think this is a really great example um, of that great management. Getting back to the question uh, for guys like Saquon Barkley, I think this um, you know Derrick Henry has always been uh, very a good running back. No one can debate that. Um, but he's never been an elite running back before this year. He led the NFL in rushing. He was that bell cow this year with over three hundred carries. But beforehand, yeah. he was always a very good, but not great running back. Exactly. He also struggled with consistency issues. You see him have a huge one hundred thirty yard game with two touchdowns. Then you'd see him, you know, really struggle, you know, to get off the line. So I think. This is uh, about right for Derrick Henry. He had a monster year. He deserves to get paid. But again, the Titans were patient because this is uh, a career life of running backs. And also, you know, there's only one year of him being proven. Saquon has shown, even when battling through injuries and, and whatnot and so forth, behind a really iffy Giants offensive line, that he can be elite game in and game out. And I think this is why it's a little different for Saquon. Um, Saquon was also younger, I believe, than Derrick Henry um, by a couple of years, if I'm right, I believe so. So I do think it changes sort of maybe the how teams will look at uh, and how teams will manage paying running backs. But I don't think for a guy like Saquon Barkley that will be matters much. Probably more for mid-tier running backs are less proven. Yeah, I agree. I think the you know McCaffrey signed a four-year, sixty-four million dollar deal this past off season. So I think that's going to be the deal that Saquon and his agent will be aiming for, even aiming to break. 
As a Giants fan, I don't feel great about that. I don't really feel comfortable with that, paying a running back that much. Just the running back position, and we've seen now, it's just not as valuable as it once was. This league, the NFL as a whole, has just become a pass-happy league, and it's become more pass-happy each and every year. Then you factor in that running backs only last usually, you know, even the star ones, I don't know, seven, eight years, and even the star ones, Typically, we've seen fall off a cliff, a DeMarco Murray-type cliff, a, you know, um, I'm blanking on the name, but the, the Kansas City Chiefs running back, Jamal, Jamal Charles, he kind of fell off after putting up great years, and it was injuries, and then also, we've seen great running backs go in the middle rounds, even go undrafted, like an Austin Eckler uh, type of guy. So, I don't know. If I'm the Giants, I'm not paying Saquon $16, 17000000 per year, especially because he's already battled uh, lower half injuries. I also want to get back to that, <clears throat> the graphic and the expected yards at handoff, I think could also have a lot to do with that offensive line. And I do think that it's no, it's not a coincidence that that entire team, the offensive line, I feel like played better. Derrick Henry obviously played better. And then even you have a guy like A.J. Brown coming out onto the scene, making a name for himself once Ryan Tannehill stepped in. Obviously, Tannehill is still in that middle pack of quarterbacks, but Tannehill made players around him better. And you saw that once the transition happened between Mariota and Tannehill. And Tannehill, obviously, he can run, but he's not as mobile as Mariota. So it is interesting that usually a mobile quarterback helps a running back or helps an offensive line uh, with his ability to scramble, that was not the case in Tennessee. Yeah, I think Tannehill was really... Um, when you're winning games, your team plays better. Your team has more motivation. They are they have momentum. And Tennessee was one of the hottest teams that can have the stretch. And that makes everyone better. When you know that you have, a consistent, you have consistent quarterback play, like you had from Ryan Tannehill... I, I think it will make everyone better, um, and I think that statistic really just uh, just really shows that. Um, I don't know if you have anything else, but um, well, no, I just want to say Tannehill had some nice uh, stretches in Miami, but injuries kind of really plagued him, and I'll be very interested to see can Tannehill keep it up on a year to year basis, like he did last year, except that was on a week to week basis. So, Colts are better, Texans. Texans aren't better, but they still have Deshaun Watson, so they still should be competitive. So that, I don't know. I would make a debate that the Titans are better than the Colts. No, no, I'm not. De- I'm not debating that. I'm just saying this is a competitive division, and I'm what I'm saying uh, is, you know, maybe they don't have a Kansas City Chiefs or a Baltimore Ravens in that division, but this team will be competitive. That division will be competitive in terms of who's going to win and can they get one or even two wild cards out of it. They're going to beat up on each other, I feel like. So I'll be very interested to see how Tannehill and this entire Titans team perform in a very competitive AFC South. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I was getting at, not that who exactly yeah, is the yeah. better team. Because we, we, yeah. we, we could debate that for probably the rest of the show. But let's get into the second deal that we're going to talk about. Chris Jones signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was also a franchise tag. He did threaten to hold out. But about a day before the deadline, he reached an agreement 
four years, $80 million, another $5 million that he could make in incentives, $60 million is guaranteed. And a lot of people were surprised that, that the Chiefs were able to sign this deal with Chris Jones, especially after the Mahomes mega extension. How surprised were you, or did you see this coming? Honestly, I was. I can't say I was super surprised. I think um, when you look at this Chiefs Super Bowl run, you see um, a defense that was really not super talented, but they had really they had two good players that really stepped up. I think they had three or four. I mean, I think Tyron Matthew, Chris Jones, and Frank Clark. Those were kind of the stars of that defense. Right. I I think I would just narrow down to really just Chris Jones and. I mean, Frank Clark was really good, but I think the leader of that defensive line is in the, in the person, in the, in, the, in the guy in the middle, the run stuffer, the guy who can bring great interior pressure is Chris Jones, and I think he's shown that he can be a really good leader for that team. He cares about the team's success, and I think I I was not surprised at all to see the Chiefs reward him with really what was a great uh, last season and postseason for him. Um, really helping to lead this defense. So I was I can't say that surprised. I think the deal was uh, fairly fair for both sides. Um, and I, 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 I'm excited to see what the Chiefs uh, can really do with this defense next year. Yeah, I was watching some Super Bowl highlights the other day, and I remember the Chiefs batted down a lot of passes, but I guess I just didn't notice how many of those passes that were batted down were of Chris Jones. Um, Chris Jones, although he may not have the sack numbers in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl, but he created pressure for the quarter on the quarterback. He batted down passes. He had a very good, obviously all-round year, but in that Super Bowl, he really made his presence felt and made a lot of nice plays at the line of scrimmage against a couple or a few of Jimmy Garoppolo's passes. I was definitely surprised, and obviously I was a little more surprised once the Mahomes deal did get done, but even before the Mahomes deal, the way things were trending with Chris Jones tweeting out, oh, I've gotten some advice from Le'Veon Bell, obviously I didn't know if he would take it that far and hold out the entire season, especially with the uncertainty of COVID-19 and how much the franchise tag is worth. But just the way that things had been trending over the last few weeks, I did not expect a deal between Chris Jones and the Chiefs to get done. From what I was seeing, they only really started, you know, really started talking and meeting about a week or two before the deadline. So this definitely was a surprise. Obviously, the Mahomes extension was baked into that, but it was also just the communication or really lack thereof of uh, in the weeks and months leading up to the deadline so shy four years 80 million obviously he can make 85 million but this puts him behind Aaron Donald and DeForest Buckner among top paid defensive tackles if you're ranking those three guys who would who would basically Donald Buckner Jones top three paid tackles do you, do you like the order they're in among highest paid? Would you move Chris Jones up? Because I, I think Aaron Donald is really the number one defensive. Anybody's going to debate you. Aaron Donald is not. Yeah, so I guess what I'm really asking is Buckner or Jones. Yeah. Um, I think this is sort of a hard 
value is on the Colts um, because uh, he was playing on a stacked San Francisco 49ers defensive front. There's no, there's no questioning that. Um, but did he produce? Yes. But again, it's a whole different thing. I mean, he's going to see, he saw probably a lot less double teams with guys uh, like D. Ford and Bosa there as well, Salma Thomas. I, I, I really. I mean, Salma Thomas wasn't even starting. That's how stacked this defensive line was. Yeah. Like, there, there's. I mean, that, that, that defensive line is absolutely stacked, but he still produced. Um, but the, the, the thing is, I, I do think Chris Jones is better right now. I think we can evaluate that more probably going uh, as we see them as the four spot to perform on a more I don't want to say lackluster but uh, not as talented defensive line uh, that the Colts do have um, but right now I do think Chris Jones is better um, probably the second best defensive tackle in the NFL and uh, that that really just makes sense to me that he that it really makes sense to me he should be paid, he paid more that's why I think the Chiefs uh, we were to get a fair deal done there with him. Um, I think he's better because I think he can bring. Uh, he's more of a run stuffer than Buckner. I think Buckner may bring more uh, interior pressure, but I think Jones more of a run stuffer. Uh, he can do a little bit more both. He's a little more balanced, and I think he's Jones has shown the one thing he's shown leadership. He's just shown he can be a leader for a, 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 a young, a young and experienced defense a defense that was really struggling last year until the postseason, and he really was able to galvanize that defensive line. So that's the, the really the trait that really makes him stand out to me because talent-wise, it's pretty close, but again, we'll have to see um, into next season to truly evaluate them. Yeah, I'd still say Tyron Matthews, the leader of the defense, but for me, it's not much of a debate in my mind. I think it is Chris Jones. Buckner, he was already... He was always a solid defensive tackle, but he didn't become this great defensive tackle uh, until they brought in D. Ford from the Chiefs, until they drafted Nick Bosa. When they put other guys around Buckner, that's when his that's when his film and his talent really took off. Jones, obviously the Chiefs probably don't have as great of a defensive line, although I really still like their D-line. I do think though Chris Jones is this is the second best tackle, defensive tackle that is in the NFL. And that's a pretty good compliment knowing that there's a surefire number one in now LA, Aaron Donald. So Shy, let's move on now. Or let's actually stay with Chris Jones but move on to a different headline he made. He recently said when talking about Super Bowls, not one, not two, not three, not four. And look, the Chiefs are very talented. I love Patrick Mahomes. And you know what? Could they win five? I guess. But I real if I'm a GM or a coach or even a teammate, I really don't like him going out and saying this. Especially you were talking about his leadership. Yeah, I really don't want this from one of my leaders. Uh, listen, I think there's the difference between lackluster leadership and incompetence. He's a confident guy. I think he's trying to sort of galvanize the team after a Super Bowl title. I think he's trying to bring them um, really together. 
together and say, let's go, let's get hyped. Well, you can do that privately. You can do that in the locker room. But saying that in public puts unreal expectations. And it just, you know, this is like that old takes exposed where we're going to look, you know, five, six, seven years down the road or even 10 years, 12 years when Mahomes is dealing up. And might say, and, you know, if it doesn't happen, we'll say, you know, really? Why'd you say that? Because it's not like, well, I mean, could they? Anything's possible. But I definitely don't want anyone on my team, let alone a leader and a star on my team, going out and saying this where it could really backfire. Look, we were, we were talking about the expectations of being probably around four Super Bowls when that Mahomes deal was signed. Honestly. So... The expectation is there, whether we like it or not. And I don't really have a problem with him saying this. I think, you know, he's he's just trying to uh, he's just trying to get hype. People do this all the time. Uh, I don't really understand why this is a big deal. I think this doesn't take away, in my opinion, from his leadership. Um, I think on the field, he's definitely a leader of that defensive line. One of the leaders of that defense uh, was Tyron Matthew. And I don't think it makes him any less of a leader off the field in that locker room. Uh, I, I just don't have a problem with confidence there. No, well, there's a difference between confidence and putting unreal expectations. I mean, has he not learned any... Uh, the media and fans like us can discuss all we want about expectations and how many Super Bowls does do the Chiefs have to win to make these deals worth it. And, you know, we can go on and on and on. There's a difference between the media talking about it and then you, you know, trying to almost putting fire to it. You know, you're making it worse. The whole point, we, the, if, if I'm a player in the NFL or if I'm involved in an organization, you should, for the most part, kind of plug your ears from all media. You know, keep things internally. And look, you have to take it one day at a time, one game at a time. I mean, even taking it one season at a time is too much, let alone saying we're going to win five Super Bowls. That's what kind of made the Patriots so successful is because they did not look in the future, but they did not look in the past. They lived in the present. They took it one day at a time. They took it one game at a time. That's what the Chiefs have to do. And Chris Jones going out and saying it, is not helping, and I just don't think this was, this was not the right thing to say. He should know that. He's a smart guy. I I don't think there was any Look, reason for him to say that. The, you gotta take this with a grain of salt coming from a player, okay? I think he's but he's he's just he's he's excited. Players do this all the time, and I think uh, I, I I think you're kind of making him out of a molehill here. I don't think it's uh, that big of a deal. I don't think Chiefs fans are going to make it out to be that big of a deal. Um, I, I, I think players do this all the time. I don't Just because other players do it doesn't mean it's smart. I, I, I don't think that makes him less of a leader or less of a good player. Is it smart? Maybe. Maybe. No, not. it's not smart. I don't know. There's no reason to say, there's no reason to believe this was a smart thing to do. I mean, I'm not saying it takes away from his leadership or it takes away from his talent, but if if assuming they don't win five, we're gonna always look we're gonna look at him like, well, you know, why'd you say that? With all due respect, I don't think anyone's gonna remember that in five years. 
I don't know about that. I definitely, I definitely. The the way things can surface on social media, the internet, people will remember this. I have a hard time believing they won't. I'm not saying everyone will, but remember, LeBron, his famous quote, not one, not two, not three, you know, so on and so forth, and people bring that up all the time. And I know that's LeBron James, and it's a little different. Chris Jones is not on that stage. But at the same time, these quotes almost never turn out well. Can you? Th- I mean, can you think of a time when a, someone said something like this and it and it had a positive impact on the team. I I I I don't think anyone. I think people bring that up, maybe just a joke, but I don't think it's really a big deal that LeBron went out and said that. I don't think people are really just going about it and rubbing it in his face. Um, I think. I think. Also, I mean, Kevin Durant. The last next season, he did the, the very next season. Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors. You know, I mean, <laughs> so that that takes a little bit of value. Didn't Durant say that with the Heat, though? I'm mean, not Durant. Sorry, LeBron. I believe he said it with the Cavs, um, maybe as well. But with the Heat, that he may have said it with the Heat as well. Um, but my point, my point stands when you say, and I know we're kind of sidetracking here, but when you say KD then sign with the Warriors, these leagues are unpredictable. That's why you don't make these bold claims, these bold statements, because you never know what's going to happen. You never know when an injury can occur or a signing or trade happens or luck comes in. It takes a lot, you know, we can brag about talent and that's what obviously talent does win and coming together and chemistry, team chemistry does win. But usually in each and every Super Bowl champion, there might be a bit of luck involved. So with a game that can be lucky, you can get injured, and a bunch of other things, and everything just changes on a year-in and year-out basis. That's why these bold claims never work out. That's why he should should never have said this. And it puts even higher expectations and more of a bullseye on the Chiefs' back. Look, we can agree to disagree, but I think we should, in the sake of time, move on. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's go to the third big contract and the biggest of all, Miles Garrett. It's a five-year, $125 million. A hundred. One zero zero triple digits, a hundred million dollars is guaranteed. This is the biggest deal for a non quarterback ever. Bigger than Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, Julio Jones, Laramie Tunso, bigger than all those deals. Now, Miles Garrett still has two years remaining on his rookie deal, so there's a chance that they'll spread out everything among seven years. So the average annual value across seven years obviously won't be as big, but still the biggest deal given out to a player that is not that does not play the quarterback position. Shy, you're a fan of the Steelers. You play in the same division, obviously, as Miles Garrett and the Browns. I think Miles Garrett might be he's probably on the fringe of a top five edge rusher right now, especially with some guys like Von Miller, not the same guy they once were. What were your thought, initial thoughts and what was going through your mind when you saw the numbers that were coming in? In terms of the numbers, I, I, I was kind of like, wow. 
that's that's a lot of money for a guy who finished the season last year due to a suspension, a pretty serious suspension at that, um, which really questioned his character. Not to say his character was his character had a very good character before, but it was a suspension that really, really questioned his character. And I think to, to reward him with this type of money and these numbers, he said over uh, around $100 million guaranteed, the highest paid salary uh, player not playing the quarterback position, it seems high. He, there's no way he's on the same level as Aaron Donald. And I can make the argument that there are uh, five better edge rushers than him. Well, that's why I said fringe. I didn't say he's definitive top five, but he's sneaking in, especially with some guys not playing their best football over these last one to two years. Yeah, I think I think he's he's definitely uh, one of the better defensive players in football, one of the best defensive linemen in football. I think in a couple of years, by the time that rookie deal is expired, he's on this extension. Um, I think he could easily be a top five edge rusher, top four, top three, even. Um, but you know, you never know, and I and I don't like to see these numbers coming in now after what we saw from last season the production was good but i don't know if i like this amount of reward coming off this season expansion in a shortened season he played 10 games last year he got 10 sacks so he's averaging a sack a game and yes i know there's the well is it sustainable he was doing it through over half the season so i do think you have to give him credit for that i mean at one at some point it is wow, this dude is the real deal, and I think Garrett has shown that. I also think we've seen it. It's We've seen it with quarterbacks. We've seen it with other positions. It's kind of that next man up. It's not always, are you the best? It's, when are you due for that new major deal? And I know we did not see that. That was not the case with Derrick Henry. That was not the case with Chris Jones. But it was the case with Miles Garrett. He plays also a very valuable position. I think you also have to factor in his age, very young, and then obviously he is he's that he's the best player on that Cleveland Browns defense. He gets after the quarterback very well, great at a very high rate. And he's really impressed ever since he's co- he's come into the league. I know Shy you disagree with these figures and look, these figures were definitely a lot. And I don't know if I would have given him this big of a contract. I'll admit, but I do think if you are going by that next man up, you know, type of way that the NFL and owners and players have kind of lived by when handing out contracts, I definitely think there is a reason to justify, at least to an extent, him getting a blockbuster record-breaking deal. I'm not going to, he's not better than Aaron Donald, he's not better than Khalil Mack, but I do think, again... It's not always are you the best, it's when are you due for that extension? Yeah, I, I, I do think that's a good point and a valid one. But I would say that they had time here. It's not like the window was closing quickly to get this deal done. I know, but you see a lot, a ton of deals still occur or are agreed to with two years remaining on that rookie contract for first round picks you obviously have the fourth year and then the fifth year option which Garrett's fifth year option had already been picked up it happened with Todd Gurley it happened with Christian McCaffrey 
happened uh, with quarterbacks a lot, you know, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. So, I know, obviously, they didn't have time, but I think you see a lot of teams do that with other uh, star players. And, yeah, I do think Miles Garrett is a star player. I don't disagree he's a star player, but I think the guys who you just brought up are guys who play, you know, running back and guys who play, uh, guys who play different positions. No, but running, except pass rusher and defensive end is a way more valuable position than running back. I, I definitely and withstands for a longer period of time. I definitely agree, but they didn't get the same figures that that Miles Garrett's getting because they all have a different position, but, but still. I know, but g- at the time, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, they were record-breaking for their respective positions. I understand that. I do. But at that time, those guys were... Well, also, Mason Rudolph did try to take off Miles Garrett's helmet first. That's another discussion, but I thought I'd throw that out there. I think that's also debatable. Like, you don't know what he was trying to do. He literally took the helmet and tried his best to rip it off. He just failed. You can go on. I mean, uh, it, it did not ju- it did not justify it did not justify the actions of Miles Garrett. But there's no debate that Mason Rudolph tried to rip off Garrett's helmet. did try to get his helmet off. I don't know if ripping it off is the right words. Uh, I don't... I, I think... Uh, I, don't, I don't think Mason Rudolph liked how he was taken down by Garrett. I think he thought it... I don't know what it was, but at the end of the day, you can't risk the life and the well-being and health. Again, I'm not just a one... I know. And what Garrett did was wrong. And obviously, the suspension was well-warranted. I also think that Cleveland Browns organization probably has talked to him many times about it. They know Miles Garrett, the person, way more than we do. They know the ins and outs. They know the situation. And I don't think they would have thrown around this money willy-nilly if, you know, they had to do research. Obviously, they've seen him. They know the player. They know the person. They would not have just thrown this contract out willy-nilly without doing any background information on what happened that night against the Steelers. Look, that's not the, I think that's not the only reason I think he may be deserving of this, but not right now, in my opinion. Obviously, I don't know what they know, but I gotta know what I know. And I know that, I, I, that this guy has just had a season-ending suspension or something that was a, that's probably one of the, the, the dirtiest uh, things that a player has done in 
you know, this is Montez perfect level craziness here. Uh, if not more so, probably is more so. And I, I, I think, uh, and then uh, obviously maybe he is changed, probably is, who knows? But I think you're also looking at the, the figures of this deal, the money. I don't think you're going to pay a guy more of an Aaron Donald, more of a problem, maybe they're the best defensive player in football. Well, when Aaron Donald signed that contract, and actually he then, I believe, he had the record for like a few days before Mac, Cleo Mack signed his extension. But when Cleo Mack and Aaron Donald signed their deal, as staggering as the numbers were, and as great as Aaron Donald and Cleo Mack are, everyone knew that those deals weren't going to be permanent for records. Everyone knew the way the NFL works in terms of contract everyone. negotiating. People knew that it wouldn't be too long before someone breaks those deals and breaks those I, records that Donald and Mac set. But I don't I don't understand why a guy like Miles Garrett, who just had the suspension, who is who is now gonna break that record, who maybe not even a top five uh, pass usher in the NFL right now. I mean I think they have time to make this decision. I think they should have taken more time. If this if this extension was made uh, a year later or However, I think that would have been I would have been much more okay with this. Um, or even if just the money was less. I think you either gotta wait it out before you give this extension or you gotta reduce the figures. Uh, but I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with this on Cleveland. I personally have given up on teams waiting to sign players to massive extensions. I thought the Eagles should have done that with Wentz. They didn't. I thought the Rams should have done that with Goff. They didn't. I thought the Rams should have done that with Gurley. They didn't. Like, I feel like we've moved past the, or, you know, Panthers with McCaffrey. I think we've moved past the, oh, wait till the last year they're under contract. Because also players we've seen grow unhappy. They're more than ever to uh, hold out, even though this new CBA uh, further hurts those type of players. So I think we're almost, I've been a big advocate for teams saying, for teams, wait until there's only one more year on a player's deal. I just think we're past that point where teams don't care. They want to lock their player up. They want to also kind of gain that trust in the player. Like, we support you, and we want you to stay with our organization. Okay, but that doesn't mean you're going to stop criticizing it. If that, just because it's a, it's a naive, it's not the best decision from a man's perspective. Because we've seen what's happened. You mentioned it. With Goff, with, with, with Gurley, you, 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 you've seen this type of stuff. We've seen it. We know, we know it's not always the best. That, means, that doesn't mean that we should become a normal. We shouldn't stop criticizing it. I think that from a management perspective, we should be able to criticize and expect you know, the best out of the management. And I think especially in a case like this, where there's a lot more moving pieces, I think... Yeah, definitely would behoove the Browns, I think, to wait another year. And he would have had another year left on his contract. And so uh, I don't think they're in the rush. And I, you know, maybe, maybe it probably will be that Miles Garrett and the steel works out for them. But honestly, I don't know that I want to take that, that risk if I'm Cleveland. I think also by doing it on the early side is you don't risk other guys like a TJ Watt or you know in a you know 
in a bunch of other cases that they don't reset the market and then you have to pay the player even more because you waited so sometimes waiting does hurt in terms of having to pay more because the benchmark that the player is hitting goes up and up and up because previous players who uh, you didn't think would sign a deal signed a deal on the early side as well and they also pushed up the benchmarks of highest guaranteed, highest AAV. And look, Garrett's deal, as crazy as the numbers are, we don't know, this deal will probably not become the highest paid within the next few years. Joey Bosa, TJ Watt, eventually Nick Bosa. There's so many great young pass rushers in the game right now that as mind-boggling as the numbers are in Garrett's deal, there are going to be guys who either come close to breaking it or indeed break it. And and to be honest, I expect Garrett's deal to be uh, broken just because of how the NFL works. So I do think getting your guy on the early side, not having to worry about other players signing their deals and, you know, that player looking saying, hey, and then also you get to now spread the Garrett money over seven years, which I also think obviously softens the cap blow from a year-to-year basis, which is very important, especially now as this new new CBA obviously was supposed to skyrocket numbers in the cap. But with revenue loss, those num- those cap space numbers are going to get much lower. So let's move actually right into how this NFL and NFLPA affects the salary cap. Owners initially wanted this year's salary cap, which was at $198.2 million, to be decreased by about 8 to $10 million. But obviously, if they decreased the 2020 salary cap, a lot of guys would have had to been cut as owners and GMs planned or made signings with the thinking of we have $198.2 million to spend. So many guys would have had to have been cut. Obviously, the Players Association was very much against it. So what they agreed on is they're going to spread the revenue loss among the salary cap from 2021 through 2024. Next year's salary cap is $175 million right now. It has the opportunity to increase if they exceed the expected revenue uh, that they're expected to make. Obviously, they're expected to lose about $4 billion it, uh, with the loss of fans and ticket revenue and concessions and parking, all that stuff. So I'm just shy, and you can speak on it uh, too. I'm just really happy they got this deal done. They don't have to worry about financial bickering and back and forth, bad optics, bad PR st- uh, stunts. I'm happy they got this deal out of the way. Training camp begins in about 24 hours for the Chiefs and Texans. Now, everyone knows the protocols for health and safety, and everyone knows how the revenue, uh, how they're going to make up the revenue over the next four years. Shai, what were your thoughts when you first saw that this deal will not get in the way of training camp? Yeah, obviously, I think we can uh, agree for once. I think it was a... I'm glad they got the deal done. I think it's definitely uh, behooves the NFL to get this done. Uh, I think the players' association also were happy with happy enough to agree to this deal. And I'm just glad they got something done. I'm hoping 
um, that that reduced uh, salary cap in 2021 does not come back and haunt some teams that were not expecting this um, and, be- and benefit a lot of teams that had lower cap space uh, or more cap space uh, for that year because that could really sort of throw off the balance of that offseason a little bit, which is not great, but... I, but I think in the short term, I think I'm very happy that uh, this deal was great Yeah, just kind of a brief timeline of how everything went down. Around the middle of the day on, uh, I guess now we're recording this on July 25th. So middle of the day yesterday, July 24th, the owners ratified the proposal. They agreed to it. Then the NFL subcommittee uh, unanimously uh, they don't really accept it, but they vote on it to recommend. So they unanimously recommended this deal, and then the player representatives, each team has one player representative, they had the final say, and they voted to approve it by a count of 29-3. to 3. So a near-unanimous vote for the PA of approving this new deal. Shy, what's also interesting is opt-outs. We've already seen... Uh, a player for the Chiefs, right guard opt out. He's going to help, I believe, in Canada with COVID-19 efforts. So great job by him. But what's interesting is there are two categories of opt outs. There's the, if you are a high risk player, if you are a high risk, you can opt out for $350,000 and you get a, you get a, you basically get a credited season, so it'll count towards service time. So if you're two years removed from free agency and you're high risk and you opt out through the season, even though you didn't play, you now get one. You're now one season away from free agency. So that was a big sticking point. The second category is if you are not high risk, and that is a one hundred fifty thousand dollars salary advance. So you had obviously just an advance, and less money, and then, according to Tom Palacero, it looks like there is no credited season, so if you are, uh, again, if you're a rookie for this case, you will still be, I guess, you will still have, be considered a rookie, and still have the same amount of years on your deal if you do, if you decide to opt out. What I thought was very interesting, and by my understanding, is if you are not high risk, but you live with someone who high high risk, I don't think that matters. I still think, and again, I could be wrong, but I still think you fall into the category of voluntary. And we saw in the MLB and the MLB Players Association negotiations, it was a main sticking point for the MLB Player Association for to get players who live with someone high risk to get them the same or at least similar benefits as people who are high risk. The NFL, it looks like there's just the high-risk voluntary, and if you live with someone who is high-risk, that, and you're not high-risk, that you still fall into the voluntary category. Shy, what do you think of this? Yeah, I think it... I'm not sure if how much I agree with that um, sort of clause saying that if you live with someone that's high-risk, it's not really... You don't, you're still considered as voluntary. Uh, I think the NFL should be a little more considerate about that. Uh, because I think many players probably may live with someone high risk. Uh, I think uh, exposing them to coronavirus is one thing, and also to their loved ones is maybe just as uh, just as bad. So I think the NFL should take that into account. 
but other than that, I think that uh, these sort of opt-in or opt-outs are very uh, are pretty fair and are, are they they definitely incentivize the players to opt-in, but they do have some benefits for not doing so. So I think it's a, it's a good solid balance there. Well, I definitely, and I've heard from reporters across the league that there are a flurry of players who are planning or leaning towards opting out. So I definitely think we're going to see some players opt out. And I th- obviously that's their right and good for them for making that choice. Obviously, every situation is different. But don't be surprised if some prominent players opt out. In the MLB, we've had a guy like a David Price or a Buster Posey who are pretty prominent prominent players in Major League Baseball, and they've opted out. So I, I definitely think it's interesting. We'll probably see, we're going to see moves within the next week as the opt-out date will be a week from when the deal is officially signed, which people are projecting, you know, you know that will be around August 1st, 2nd, 3rd, kind of in that range. That's when the opt-out date will be. So, Shai, any kind of last thoughts any, on the extension, on this new deal, uh, to avoid any type of, you know, to basically keep things on schedule? Any last thoughts? Um, no, I honestly, uh, I think that's it for me. I think uh, basically got everything out of the way. Uh yeah, I, I, I don't want to be any more redundant than I have to be, so I'll just hand it back to you. Yeah, I guess just kind of last thought, going to the first topic of the day of Derrick Henry. For me, saying it's a fair deal is pretty good just because I'm a big... I don't like paying running backs, especially big money, long-term money. I don't think the Giants should pay Saquon next year. I think they should let him play it all five years and then even franchise tag him and maybe even franchise tag him again. I'm not a... You know, I'm not big on pay or running backs long term because there's there there are many cases that show it doesn't work out, and there are not many cases uh, to show how beneficial and successful it can be. You can get a running back late in the draft. You can win with a serviceable running back. So those are kind of my final thoughts on everything today. Uh, we hope you enjoy this podcast. We'll probably be coming out with a new one, hopefully within the next couple weeks as training camp is getting going i'm excited for football season hopefully we can have a football season which yes i am very concerned uh but i guess kind of just my last uh two cents on the uh on just the nfl in general 12 rookies have already tested positive obviously that's not great i hope they're doing well and i hope they make a quick recovery But don't be too alarmed. Don't act like the world is ending or the sky is falling. It's when I'm really going to pay attention to is when everyone kind of goes into camp and then when they start participating in drills and then when we get into padded practices, that's what I'll really be looking for. Not not how many players will be testing positive right away before they even get into the facility. Because, again, I'm making a lot of comparisons, but... Major League Baseball, a lot of tests, uh, quite a few positives on intake testing as they were entering the facility. They got those way down. And now, yes, there's still a few positives uh, per week now that they're getting the season rolling, but it's very manageable. 
and then also, and MLB has done a great job, especially in terms of if a player gets it, they isolate very limited in terms of spreading the virus. And again, in a contact sport like the NFL, the biggest thing is if a few guys get it, either during training camp, which is inevitable, or during the season, how well can they stop the spread knowing how close and really how much they breathe and on top of each other these players are. So that's going to do it for this edition of Game Time Podcast. We hope you enjoyed all the topics we covered. And we will see you next time when training camp is in the full swing. See you next time on Game Time Podcast.